G'day, welcome back to the mailbag. This is Pete Anthonis, joined by, for the first time, our tennis expert, guru, punter, extraordinaire, Jake Humphreys, <laughs> who's just coming off a triumphant start to the year, the Australian Open. Uh, look, plenty happened. I, I know they're recording the uh, largest Oz Open on record. I think over 900,000 people went through the gates, despite some of the big names absent, but that didn't make a difference. Really? Who was able to just clean up the overall tournament. I think it was over 20 units up for the entire couple of weeks there at uh, at Rod Laver and Margaret Court Arenas. But, uh, Jake, run us through it. So you start off with Australian Open to begin every year. You're fresh off a holiday. Uh, I'm not even sure where in the world you are right I now. I don't, know about fre- I don't know about fresh, but I was <laughs> certainly back. <laughs> um, no, nah, so I'm back, in, I'm back in Australia now, just sort of laying low and, and, and you know, trying to, uh, you know, get stuck into some, some form, but, um, yeah, no, so it was, it's a, it's about 21 units on the year, but that year sort of started 28th of December. And then we went through and did the, the, the tournaments that happened before the Oz open, which is your Adelaide's and your, your Sydney's and stuff like that. And then the Oz open was, I think something like 10 units plus 10 units up, 10 units up. So like, it's been, it's been a really good year so far. And, and obviously, everybody always wants to be a part of things when the Oz Open comes around, and I, I totally understand that. But it can oftentimes be the hardest, one of the hardest competitions to beat, yeah. Because we're betting, we're betting into you know Aussie corporate bookmakers, and 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 they've got the data, and it's in a good time zone, and the odds come out when they, you know what I mean? Like it's sort of, it's just it's it's pretty it's a pretty sharp tournament. But um, I think just being super through being super selective this year, we were able to. Um, Turning some good results, and yeah, I'm obviously stoked with, with how it went. But no, back, back in Australia now, and I, I had to watch the first few days from the Airbnb in <laughs> England, which was which was suboptimal. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, no, we're 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 back on deck, fired up. So I was going to say you would have been just rolling in as the tournament or as the days kicking off. So do you just pull yes. the all nighters and sleep uh, whenever you can? Well, I, it was. I missed the first two. I, I, I missed the first two days of viewing, due to actually making my way back home, pretty much. And obviously, I was in shambles when I got back. <laughs> I woke up at, at ten a.m. to watch like day three of the Aussie Open, normal Australian time, and I could barely keep my eyes open. But I ended up powering through. I had a couple of late night sessions where I was going back watching the replay. I got it done. Like I got it yeah. done. But like, yeah, it was it was a bit of it was a bit of a pain in the ass. But. But I have absolutely no right to complain about something like this, you know. <laughs> like this is it's my job. I was traveling. I've come back. I'm punting. It's all. It's all good. We got it done. And and like obviously, uh, we had we had quite a few lads jump on board between sort of the the, the middle. Like we had people carry over from last year, but we had a few people sign up annually. And and it's just, I guess the best part about it is is that there's a tournament where everyone's watching, and you know that your subscribers are going to be betting on this a lot. Not a lot more, but. They're going to be following the plays in, in Australia naturally more than what they will throughout most of the other times of the year, just because the the, the matches are on, the bets are coming through, and it was just good to to get a, you know have a good result. Basically, like January was was sensational. So you know they're not always going to go like that, but um it, it was it was really good to actually have a have a fill up. And you're talking about doing the form. So how much of your form is video based versus your objective data? Um, so I'm probably not using numbers to the degree that a lot of my like colleagues are, like you know, blokes like yourself, and and, and probably 
Jackson Oldham and 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 other tennis people who I who I talked to, I, I'm sort of was never really excellent at math. So I've sort of picked up the like. Don't get me wrong, I still incorporate a large amount of like data into my approach. Like I'm always on Tennis Abstract. I'm always on Tennis Insight. I'm always on all of these websites. Just making sure that the things that I see match up with with the data, but. I do feel like the majority of, of the edge that I can produce comes from A, actually watching the matches, but more specifically getting a really, really, really good and unrivaled understanding of how certain players react to certain situations. Yep. And it's something that I don't believe the market is going to pick up on enough you know, I'm confident that I'm always going to have an edge there because it's kind of like I could, it's comparable to the mounting yard, right? Yeah. With racing, isn't it? Like you go in there and you sometimes you just know what you're looking at and you feel as though that's 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 just not something that other people are seeing because obviously, you know, the models that are being used to 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 spit out these odds are I would suggest you know, 99% numbers based, yeah. right? Like and and, and and over a large, a long period of time, the average punter is is going to struggle up against those for, for sure. But but I just feel as though, like with tennis, there's just a lot of things that you see when you're watching matches, and you see players go through similar situations week after week, month after month, and you're just able to leverage that. Like it, 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 it's it's pretty hard to explain, but I'll give you an example. Like the good thing about tennis is that it's not overly structured. So as far like. One week you could have a tournament happening in America, and then the next week they could fly over to Europe, and then like so they're in England or whatever, and then they're going to go down to Spain, and then they'll go to, you know, Switzerland or something like that. And sometimes you've got players playing in all of those tournaments, and there is a very big difference between playing, you know, in in one time zone versus the other time zone. Sometimes a player will play four matches and they'll all go for three hours in England, and then they might lose in a semi final, and then two days later they'll have to play in Italy, and that is a really, really difficult task for the human body, right? Yep. You, and and when, when you're dealing with situations like that where players go through all these strenuous sort of routines and stuff like that, I don't believe their price is wound out at all because of that. It will be slightly, but sometimes not enough. And it's just there's just things like that, Pete. Like I'm sure you, you understand what I'm saying. Like it's just, yeah, it's a very unique sport as far as what players have to do. And because it's an individual sport, you don't need to worry about analyzing 13 people analyzing 17 people you've got one you've got one like i feel like i know what the, the whole top 100 has for breakfast you know what <laughs> i mean like because i'm always following them on instagram on twitter i'm reading articles like i know when you know when an example i always use and i'll, I'll stop rambling in a second but two years ago alex demonor had one of his worst seasons and it was also the same season that he got dumped by his girlfriend yeah and if you're a young guy and you've got a hot missus and you go overseas to play tennis and she's yeah. in Australia and she breaks up with you, you're not going to play well. You wouldn't. It's something that you'd be really upset by. Yeah. And Demon is on record saying that that actually bothered him quite a lot mentally and it made it very hard for him to perform in the back half of the year. And if you don't know that, then you're shortchanging yourself. So it's, it's things like that that are really, really important. And I don't think that Demon relationship status goes into the algo. No. <laughs> that, 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 you know, so it's things like that, you know, and the, so, so the more, you know, the more of an edge you're going to be able to generate. And uh, yeah, for me, it's just about familiarizing myself with these players to a degree that no one else is. So and, clearly and, you live, eat, breathe, everything like tennis is in bed with you every night. 
Yeah, and and look, it it it. it <laughs> There are certain people in my life who don't don't enjoy this, but <laughs> but they do understand that on average it's for the best because I'm I'm, I'm doing this for work and, I, and I'm loving it. But yeah, man, like it's it's yeah. Sometimes I have to just tell myself, hey, man, like take an hour and just stop thinking about it. Like yeah. it, it'll be it'll be good for you, and I do, of course. Like, but um, yeah, no, 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 you you bang on. It's um, it's something that I do spend a bit of time on. So yeah, we love okay. the Paris. Well, right. <laughs> You've uh, you've had a great start to the year and the Australian Open, obviously, as you said, big big ticket item. Everyone's watching it. How did you see the tournament unfold? What was your read of the overall results? We're probably going to be focusing more on the the men's side of the draw than than anything else. But um, Djokovic has obviously been the winner, knocking off Sitsipas in what was you know two tiebreaks there in the final, but he seemed to have it mostly under control. Yeah, well, just I just first want to touch on. The WTA itself is a is a phenomenal competition, but I just don't feel as though I have the time to master that to the level that I ne- that I need to, and and maybe one day I will. And I watched the best probably twenty or thirty WTA 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 matches throughout the fortnight, but um yeah, it's just not something that I'm quite confident enough with yet. But I think I I will get around to it eventually. But reverting back to that final, yeah, I think I said to a couple of people like. Obviously, Djokovic was unbelievably dominant throughout the two-week period. He only dropped one set. He had a hamstring concern that was just dominating the media headlines, which was getting very frustrating for for me. And just, I'm sure, just you know, just Aussie people watching and thinking, "Oh, give me a break." But um, I said that I think that version of Steph Sitsipas would have probably beaten anybody on the tour. Yeah. In he rocked up and he lost by you know he he covered the spread. You know, good play, good players win, great players cover. Um, so he's covered the spread. <laughs> And he's lost by only five games and he played an unbelievable level. And if he rocked up there and, um, you know, you had Felix Orger Aliasim or you had Andre Rublev or you had, you know, another top 10 player opposite him, I think Steph would have won in three or four sets. He, he produced a really, really high level. But the way Djokovic performed was just like, ah, he, he's just, he's just the, the complete tennis player and, and he is unbelievably difficult to put away in a rally. Um, and that ought to be it's usually very discouraging for his opponent. I thought Steph played really well. You know, yeah. two tiebreakers. Tiebreakers, are generally speaking, more or less a 50-50 proposition. So I think objectively he was unlucky to not win one of those. But then again, you can say, well, Djokovic raised his level when he needed to. So, you know, the favorite one, and um, I'm, I'm happy for Novak. I actually like him more than the average Aussie. <laughs> Anyone who wins 22 grand slams yeah. is, is to be respected in my book. And I... I I think that you can, you, to a degree, you can say and behave how you want when you've got that kind of um, resume. So I, I, I'm, yeah, I've got no issue with him winning. I was happy. I was happy for him, and I think you'll see Steph back in finals really soon. And, and obviously, Djokovic isn't done yet either. Well, Steph was obviously dominating his serve, wasn't he? But up until that first tiebreak, and he just seemed to lose that little bit of his serve edge. Then, and I guess that was it. If he if he levels it up at one all, you're, you're thinking he's almost you know, might be able to get a momentum swing even further his way, but it just never seemed to happen. Yeah, and if it turned into a – you're right. If, and if it did turn into a staying test, you, you you never know. I mean, I'm sure Steph would have really wanted to ask the question of that hamstring and just say, look, if I can get it before a five, um, let's just find out where he's at. But he, and Djokovic would have thought the exact opposite. You know, yeah. I don't want this to even come into come into the equation. So Steph's improved a lot mentally. Like he um, – in previous seasons, I don't think he would have kept it as close as what he did, and I don't think that he would have made the final really. But um, yeah, no, it was it was a, it was a good match all round, and it, it was a three sets of love win. But I thought it was 
of extremely high quality and, and very competitive. So like you're not you're not winding Steph out in any of your prices moving forward. Like that's yeah. that's that's a really, really good match from him and, and Djokovic is obviously he's the man. So okay, it so was a good match. That was on the court. Uh, how did you see the tournament from a betting perspective overall? You obviously had a winning result, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah. Well, you know what? Like something that I always say to the lads, like I say, like they're probably like, all right, Jake, we get it. Shut up. Don't say mm-hmm. this anymore. But something I often say is like for every for every match where I've got a tip to be on something, I've also got 50 tips throughout the day to not be on something. Yep. As in, you know, if, if there's – because on, on day one, there'd be what? I think there's 32 matches on day one and 32 matches on day two. So throughout that first two days with 64 matches on offer, I think we had five bets. And, like, you you know as well as anyone how you how you bet. Being selective is extremely important. And, like, it's I don't think it's okay to just have a bet to find out ever yeah. because it's, it's going to add up. So – you know, if I'm not certain that I've got an edge, I'm, I'm just going to let those those matches unfold in front of my face. It's fine. But this will be looked back on as a tournament where there was more upsets than than what anyone ever expected. And if I can get Daniil Medvedev getting knocked out by a Seb quarter, I get Taylor Fritz being knocked out by Alexi Popperin, I can have Felix Auger-Aliassime getting knocked out by Yuri Lehechka. All underdogs were paying minimum $4, and all of those players were hard in the market to win outright. If 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 me and my subs don't suffer at all from those three losses, then that's a win. Yeah, you know because we're not tied we're not tied into them with futures. We haven't bet into them in any minor spreads or anything like that. So it was a real good tournament as far as damage control, as far as I'm concerned, because a lot of those players I have bet on before, particularly someone like Medvedev, who I have taken before. So you avoid. A, lo- a lot of really, really shock results. And there's nothing better than going on Twitter and going, well, you, you never want to see people, you know, strip out. But like mm. when I see people really, really saying, you know, damn it, Met- had Medvedev here, had Taylor Fritz here, you know, I, I'm, I'm not like, you know, jumping for joy. But in my head, I'm thinking, you know, that they weren't the right price or they weren't right for whatever reason. And the fact that we didn't bet into any of them is really, really satisfying. So I think like we went... 10 units on the surface, but it felt like more than that just because of how much damage we actually avoided with some of those shock results. So, you know, we were betting into some of the the, the lowest matches every day. But, <laughs> like, they they, pay, they all pay the same, right? So it doesn't yeah. matter. Like, yeah. So that, that's what I thought. I thought it was shocking. I thought there were lots of upsets. Um, and it was very good to, to not be, um, you know, stripping ourselves out as a result of those upsets. We, we steered pretty much clear of it. I think we, we had 24 bets. Throughout the two week period, um, I think the average price was was around the two dollar mark, and we won sixteen of them. Yep. Which, you know, two out of three at two dollars is is not really sustainable. But uh, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> I don't really care. So yeah, that, that's that's what we ended up with. So it was just real smooth, not volatile, and I think it was a pretty easy follow for for the boys um, and girls this time around. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. And I think as most people probably would testify to, betting on sport obviously makes it instantly more watchable. So uh, as you're watching all the upsets well, yeah. unfold, um, <laughs> it's always good to have a very consistent flow of winners at the same time. Yeah. The, the worst thing is though, like you've got a match coming on at 7.30 p.m. between like Djokovic and and like Roberto Carbeo Spain and Djokovic is projected to win by a billion games. And I've got people messaging. <laughs> saying, hey, mate, do you have a bet for this one? And I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> I do not have a bet for this one. And I, 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 I'm I, not even close to betting on it. And they're like, well, 
well, who would you take? I'm like, listen, mate, go just pick a market that's pick a market and just bet on it because that's 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 as good as you're going to get. I've got yeah. absolutely no opinion here. I'm staying out, like you know. So, but the the followers, you know, most of the people understand what we're what we're about. Um, and you can't blame someone for wanting to have a bit of action. But one of the things that yeah, I always stand by is like some you know the 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 best bet a lot of the times is the one that you just don't make. As cliche as it is, and like that's that's what we're trying to do. So. Yeah, no, it was good fun and, 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 and yeah, glad we did well. So what do those upsets that result from the major tournament do going forward? So looking at the ATP tour over the next couple of months, I mean, we've obviously got a while before Roland Garros, but there's a heap of tennis yep. between now and then. Uh, we're seeing the introduction of more clay courts in that period, so tailing yep. off with some of the hard courts going to clay. So you've got a fair few switches happening over the next couple of months. Yeah, and the... the, the the, the surface switches for me are like extremely exciting, and I, like, and I love clay court tennis because it rewards oftentimes the the toughest and and most grueling types of styles. And um, you know, there's nowhere to hide on a clay court, and I really really like watching that type of tennis. And again, it's another one of those things where you know it's difficult for me as well. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I've got everything under control. Like, you know, having a player jump from hard to clay court that's that's a super adjustment to try to take on, but it's also hard for for the odds makers as well. And 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 that's another area where you can probably get an edge where sometimes people don't understand just how much of a difference it is to go onto a different surface. So, I mean, look, in February we're going to have um, sort of a dozen tournaments thereabouts, and half of them are going to be on a hard court, and or well, a little bit more. I'd say two thirds are going to be on a hard court, and and then about a third going to be on the clay throughout that golden swing in South America, which is just really exciting to watch. Um, so yeah, like it. And then obviously we're, we're going into to Roland Garris. And then after that, we're pretty much straight onto the grass and these changes just make it, it, it's probably the equivalent of going from like, from going from like Wimbledon to Roland Garris is like probably running on like a firm two up to a heavy nine. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and I actually do think that's, comparable because it, it, it in essence it is about what what it's like underfoot and how a player will behave on that surface so and and you know if you're a racing guy and you're going from a three up to an eight or whatever it changes absolutely everything and and for the most part that's what that's what it's like in tennis so yeah um no, it's, it's going to be challenging but like it's awesome to see the guys jump on a different services and obviously you've got blokes like you know Daniil Medvedev who the Australian Open is 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 arguably his best set of conditions and for him to lose that uh, match against Sebastian Corder and, and, and bounce out, he's now without a chance to win a Grand Slam, probably until Wimbledon, but more likely until the US Open. He's someone who struggles massively on clay and will be well into sort of the 20s to win that. So, yeah, I mean, it's everything changes when you get on the clay and, and, and a month of tennis on clay and hard is just super exciting. So, it's going to be fun to bet on, that's for sure. Okay, so before we get to Roland Garros, which of these tournaments is there a level, or is there a certain variety of these tournaments coming up that you're really aiming at? Is there do you have your your niches, your specialties coming up? Um, it, it's hard. Like, I would like to say that just you sort of just take it you sort of just take it week by week and you try to level off your results everywhere. I would be lying though if I said that my favorite run of tournaments wasn't – so it's it's called the Golden Swing, right? And yeah. they go to South America and they play in these venues where, you know, it's not Rod Labor Arena. 
it's it's not centre court at Wimbledon, but the crowds are raucous. Anyone who knows anything about Latinos, they just go down there and they cheer and they yell and it's always hot. It's always sticky. It's like just it like it, the golden swing separates the men from the boys. So they go down there and if you're not from South America and you've got to play a late game against someone who's from Argentina, you know, I'm not sure what's going to be said to you during the match, but it's probably not going to be very nice. <laughs> and like, it's just, it, it, it's just such a great atmosphere. Even though the tournaments aren't that um, rich as far as prize money goes, we've got, uh, Cordoba, Argentina, and then we have uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, Rio de Janeiro, and then we finish in Santiago, Chile. These four tournaments are just sensational to watch. And because they are surrounded by bigger tournaments, like you've got, for ex- just for example, listing off a few, Montpellier on the hard court, you've got Rotterdam, ATP 500, you've got Dubai, ATP 500, you've got Acapulco, Mexico, ATP 500. All of these are on a hard court. They're all ATP 500 tournaments. And I do believe they, they get more attention from, you know, odds makers and the public eye as well. Yeah. So just to be able to sort of swerve through those, obviously we're still going to be betting on them, but to be able to channel your energy towards that golden swing and, and, and just, you know, it's a spectacle to watch, but also it's great because there can be so much value found. Like a home court advantage in tennis is big, but it's even bigger when that home court is uniquely, uniquely challenging. And that's what you're getting in that golden swing down there with the humidity and the fans and the heavy boggy clay courts and and so yeah that's where I really really anyone who knows me will say that my favorite swing is the golden swing I'm not just saying it because it's coming up Um, I'm just so I'm so pumped to watch that so you know we're gonna bet on everything in February but that that's 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 one of my favorites and and you know that's by no means the biggest run of tournaments in 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 the year it's probably the opposite yeah but like you know like the Super Bowl pays the same as a baseball game in July, you know, like it doesn't matter that, the, the, you know, the magnitude of the tournament or the match really, I don't care. As long as, as long as we can, you know, find value and, 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 and do well, then yeah. So it's that. And we're here pretty much. We've got, you know, time of recording five days until or six days until we start in, in Argentina. So fire up. Yeah. I mean, you've already got me excited. How do I even watch this? <laughs> well, you know, it's actually not. It's it's actually not that hard. I think for the most part, you know, the KO Sports has yeah. it, and obviously all the betting apps you can get into it and watch it as well. Like Sports Bet, TAB Bet Three Six Five, you can watch it on all of those, provided you chuck a fiver in there. And then uh, <laughs> Tennis TV as well is another app. Like this, people do say to me sometimes, like you know, how do I watch this game? And it's like all you got to do is conduct five minutes of research on your own. <laughs> you know, it's not that hard. Like it's pro tennis. Like so. Yeah, you can watch it. The only issue is though with the golden swing is that the time zone is just it's pretty sickening sometimes. Like and, and that's where I will be tested because I feel like I'm a little bit different to some. I feel like if I'm not actually watching the match, then I'm actively really, really losing a big part of my edge. And I don't go well at watching replays. Yeah. I really like to watch it live because I'm taking in more information. So the sleeping pattern will be tested. Um but if we can trade that off for a good month, then that's fine. No worries. So, so yeah, it'll be good. Ever, are you ever betting or making adjustments during a game? Um, as far as betting in play? Yeah. No. And it's funny because a lot of the tennis bettors who I'm friends with, they trade tennis matches live and that's all well and good. But I, I, I think that what I think my issue is that once a match starts, I have, such a strong pre-off opinion already in my head about how it's going to unfold 
that it's very hard for me to shake that and view it objectively because yes. I just already think so much. I, to put it simply, I just don't think betting in plays for me. It's not now. It hasn't been recently. It might be in the future, but I'm just going to stick to betting pre-off, which a lot of people will say that, you know, you, you won't beat it or whatever. But, you know, like I've got – I think I've got now like maybe 1,300 bets on file um, since the start of 2021 where I've been really tracking diligently. And um, the results have been fine, and, and the results have particularly been fine on, on your money lines and, and your handicaps. So I think that – I think that yeah, it's it's a, it's a good path that I'm taking to bet pay off. But Jesus, like you'd want to be, it requires a lot of work around the clock. Yeah. Know what I mean? Like it's not something you can just bet into and do well. But if if you're dedicated and 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 you really and you really want to perform in those to, in those types of markets, then it can be done. But you've you've just got to put in the work, same as anything. So that's what we're doing. Okay. Uh, now we'll probably just finish up by looking towards the switch to clay. And obviously Roland Garris is the pinnacle yep. of clay, but yep. look, there's a heap of tournaments leading up to it. How much of an opinion do you already have looking towards the French open? Yeah. Okay. So I'll, um, I'll, I can pop a couple of Easter eggs in the potty. I've, I've tipped, I've tipped up a couple of players to win that tournament already um prices might vary you know obviously things move when you tip stuff up and when things happen but uh i'll just pull the market up quickly now on my end although i do pretty well know it um stefanos Tsitsipas is someone who i've actually bet on to to win the french open um and i'll just use i'll just use bet 365 as an example uh he's at seven dollars fifty right now on bet 365 i think that's a backable price that's pretty well where we've tipped him at um and the reason why I like him is because obviously, if you look at Rafael Nadal, he's taking up a huge percentage of the market. Well, not huge, but quite substantial at $3.50. And betting against Nadal at the French Open is never something that I've done. And thank God, because I don't know if I'd be here. But there seems to be a genuine feeling this time around with him at, I think, 36 years of age now that it, it really, really might be his last run around. Yeah. And he has played a uniquely physical brand of tennis to the degree that like, you, like you'll never see someone exert as much on a court as what he does. He doesn't have a really big serve. He doesn't have enormous power, although the forehand is big. So what he's had to do basically for the last 15 years, 20 years is just absolutely run himself ragged. Yep. And I think that finally that's caught up to him to the point where he's going to have a hard time competing at the top level. Now, famous last words, because I think people have said this before and he's come out and won the French, but I'm happy to be against him in this situation because I am really worried about his physical condition. Carlos Alcaraz is hard in the market. He's someone who I love. And we made hay while the sun was shining as far as his value goes. He's now unders everywhere. But 12 months ago, no one knew who he was and he was winning everything. I'm happy to be against him at the price. And I just think Djokovic, he's obviously a superstar, but he doesn't play that much all year round, and it's a really hard ask clay court over two weeks. So Steph Sitsabas, rock hard fit. Clay's his best surface. He just played arguably his best ever tournament on a hard court. And, and a lot of people don't understand that when he gets to the clay, he's going to be better. Mentally, he looks great. He's just he's just a, a really hot stock, in my opinion, Steph yeah. Sitsabas. And, and, and the clay court is where he plays his best tennis, and that is evident through... Three years of data, and if you watch him, it's just it's just the way he rolls. So, steps it's about. And then I've had a bit on a player called Holger Rune um, from Denmark. He lost to Andre Rublev in this tournament just gone, but he's another player who he's, he's 19 years of age and 
when people are sort of 17, 18, 19, sort of up to 21, they're still experiencing massive amounts of growth, mental maturity and stuff like that. And it's when players really, really make a mass, can make a massive leap as far as their improvement goes. You saw it with Carlos Alcaraz. You see it with all the greats and Holger. And I'm not sure how good he's going to be, but I do know that he's six foot two. He's got big power and he is unbelievably dedicated to the cause. He beat Novak Djokovic last year on a hard court, one of only three people to do it in the last 12 months. Might even be two people to do it. Anyway, it's a big scalp. We beat him at Paris Masters 1000. Enormous win. Came out, he was unlucky at the Aussie Open on a hard court, but again, he gets back to his best service, which is a clay court, and I think Olgaroon should be shorter than... I'm looking at the market. He should definitely be shorter than Alexander. Alexander Zverev should be 40s, uh, and he should probably be... He should probably be around that $10 mark. I, I would have a few players longer, and I would have him a little bit shorter. So... Happy to have something on him. And I think both these guys, once they actually get on the clay for that initial hit out at your your your, your roams and maybe a couple in the golden swing, I'm not sure where they're committed to play, but once people actually start to see how they perform, I think we're going to have a ticket on with Steph that's that's 550. And I think we'll have one with Holgaroon that might be nine, nine or ten bucks. So I, I like both of those bets. But yeah, Roland Garris is awesome. It always throws plenty of curveballs. You know, there's a lot of players who no one knows about that they only perform well on clay. It's actually really funny. Like, you know how the media will say, oh, you know, we've had another upset here at this tournament and, you know, the upset is actually a $1.40 pot winning. Yeah. But, but, but because of the reputation of the seeding and stuff like that, they actually don't understand who was favoured to win. But Roland Garris is notorious for that because you've got guys who play on the clay basically like 11 months out of the year. And finally, when it comes to Roland Garris, a lot of these South Americans and Southern Europeans can actually come out and, and beat someone worth knowing about. So it's, it's always really cool. Like you get like some really tenacious blokes come out and perform well. And, um, and then obviously you've got all your top end guys who are, who are really rock solid as well. So no, nah, it's going to be good, but I think players to watch Clay court steps, hits pass for sure. And then uh, I think Holger is going to, going to do a thing or two as well. Jake, it's been a fascinating series of insights. Uh, it's great to catch up. It's great to, uh, See that you're going so well after after your good break by the sounds of things. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, look, we're looking forward to just being able to follow along for the rest of this year. But uh, plenty of tennis action coming up over the next couple of months. We might uh, try and do another little recap at some point in the near future. Yeah, I just want to say quickly before we jump off, um, I'm... If anybody wants to contact me with any questions about the service, any inquiries, results, yarns, anything, X, Y, Z, however way you feel like you can get onto me, Twitter, Insta, WhatsApp, I don't mind, whatever, reach out to me and um, and I'm happy to chat and, and answer any questions you might have because, um, yeah, I, I do think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a really, uh, a really tidy year and um, yeah, all the, all the subs are in good hands and, and, and hopefully we can, we can just keep performing well. So yeah, if you want to ask me a question about anything, then, then please reach out. Beautiful. Thanks very much for your time, Jake. Cheers, mate. Thank you.